Thank you so much for joining us for the third week of this series called Your Best Life. You know, the other day I was looking at a piece, uh, an incredible passage in Psalms 39. The psalmist is, uh, is in the midst of experiencing premature death. Most scholars think that he's dying early. He's trying to figure out. He's confused. He's angry. He's trying to figure out what it is that God might be saying. And then suddenly he breaks forth with what I just call, it's just profound insight. Here's what he says. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. Wow. What an insight to live your life by and for me to live my life by as we seek to live what I call your best life. I want to suggest this is a prayer that we ought to be praying, if not daily, then perhaps weekly and certainly monthly. Lord, Keep me cognizant of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me my days are numbered and that my life is fleeting. So the question that you and I should be wrestling with on a regular basis is how well am I managing my numbered days? Because life is fleeting. It is in this context that I want to engage you with the teachings that flow to us from Jesus. Jesus suggests to us that if we will heed his invitation, he'll teach us how to live life differently than how we are currently living it now so that we can live our best life now. And it has nothing to do with whether you're living in a big mansion or whether you're living in a one-room apartment. Come on now. Living your best life, here's how I define it. My best life is ultimately defined by a life of deep joy characterized by love and peace. Now, if you are with us last week, you know, I shared with you this story about my good friend Jason Reynolds. He and I playing tennis together. And I said in the first three games of the set, had you been watching, you would have thought the way I was playing that I must have been the unknown brother of Serena Williams. <laughs> but if, you'd been, if you had kept watching, the truth would have been exposed. Because by the time I finished the set and the match, I found myself totally breathless and exhausted, missing points that I should have made. And I ultimately lost the match. And I told you that my friend... You know, the reason why he was so smooth and capable and competent and won fairly easy, easily is because his game was shaped by rhythm and pace and focus and technique, solid technique. Whereas my game was shaped by reacting and racing and distractive focus and very poor techniques. And what I'm suggesting to you as you look back over this past week, for example, is that a good way of kind of defining was your life shaped by racing? Was it, was it shaped by distractive focus, perhaps? Did you, did you, had you made it a point to spend some time with your family or your kids or your grandparents, but the whole week has come and gone and you missed that point? You didn't spend that time? Had you made it a point that you were going to exercise three times uh, during the course of this past week, but the week is over and you've missed that point? And yet when you go to bed at night, you're totally zonked and exhausted. You wake up the next morning, you're tired. As a matter of fact, you're just tired of being tired. It is to you and it is to me, it is to us that Jesus says, listen, I've got an invitation for you. Not a command, but it is an invitation. Now, Jesus is not above making commands, but this is not a command. It's an invitation. Here's his invitation. It is our theme text here in Matthew 
for this entire series. And here's what, here's what Jesus says in his invitation. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. All right, let me lean in here a little bit. We talked a little bit about this last week. Let's just go a little deeper. Everybody shout yoke. Type in the chat. <clears throat> Jesus is yoke. Now, in, 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 on one hand, when we talk about yoke, what we're really talking about is a piece of wood that often in Jesus' day, you'd have one ox on one side and another ox on the other side. One of the ox, oxen would be older and more mature and he would set the pace and he would do the heaviest of the lifting. And as he would move, the other one would come along. So a yoke is this piece of wood that helps us to bear heavy weight. That's the first thing. I'll return to that in just a minute. Jesus says, take my yoke and let me teach you. I told you last week that when we talk about, when Jesus says, let me teach you, he's hinting at a word uh, that is often translated as disciple. But another way to translate that word is apprentice. You see, when Jesus first showed up in his historical context, uh, he was, he, he did his, he lived his life in a rabbinical tradition. That Hebrew word rabbi is translated teacher. Most people refer to him as teacher. And in his day, in his context, every teacher had a yoke. I'm not talking about the piece of wood that I just described a few moments ago, but I'm talking about a, a set, a collection of teachings whereby their students were invited or their apprentices were invited to organize their lives up under. But what was unique and different about Jesus as he interacted with his apprentices is that his yoke, he says, was easy, was light. It was an invitation, come on now, to, to organize your life. It's an invitation to organize your life and my life and our lives under how the, a, a set of teachings that will help us to do the heavy lifting of life itself and all of its components, our study life, our work life, come on, our finance life, whether you're married or you're dating, our government, all of life and all of its, its components. And here, here's how John Mark Comer talks about what this means. Uh, he, he says this, apprentice of Jesus as an apprentice of Jesus, ultimately what you're doing is that you are invited to organize your life around three goals. Three goals. Shout goals. The first goal is one, to be with Jesus. Spend time with him. Spend time with your teacher. You do that in scripture, and I'll talk about some other ways in a minute. The second goal, watch this, is to become like Jesus. Here at NBCC, we say it like this, live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. The third goal is to do what Jesus would do if Jesus were you. That if Jesus was living in your context, in your circumstances, if Jesus was working in your position at your job, what would Jesus do if he was you? How would he live? Those are the three primary goals of what it means to be an apprentice. Listen to how John builds this out. It's a fascinating quote. Get this. 
The whole point of apprenticeship is to model all of your life after Jesus. And in doing so, watch this, to recover your soul. Model all of your life after Jesus. And in doing so, recover your soul. I love this. And it goes on to say, watch this, to have the warped part of you put back into shape, to experience healing in the deepest parts of your being. Is there anyone who could use some healing? Come on now. In the deepest part of your, your being, so deep that binging on Netflix will not help. So deep that surfing social media will not help help is there anybody in the come on listening to me who who, who could use some soul healing well, that's why i like jesus as the message paraphrases the our theme text as we hear jesus say okay i got you come walk with me and work with me and watch how i do it <laughs> yeah learn the unforced rhythms of grace so last week, if you were around, the first lesson that we learned from Jesus, this, 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 this body of teaching around which we should organize our lives so that we can live lives of deep joy characterized by love and peace, is the lesson slow down. Yes, if Jesus was in our context, was in your context, my context, if he was, if he was the, the lead pastor at New Beginnings Community Church, uh, the first thing he would do is slow life down around him Uh, so his life down well if you missed last week's message please go and check it out uh you know it's about pacing your life today we say okay jesus help us are there some techniques some concepts to help us as we try to build a new rhythm and a new pace heavens begin to slow life down Jesus, yeah. Now, I need to beg your indulgence just for a moment because I'm going to introduce this concept with a, with a bad word. I usually don't say bad words during the message, and so I'm going to ask you to just forgive me in advance, but it's, it's important to dramatize this unique concept that I'm going to express that we find in Jesus' life. If you have somebody who's below the age of 13, just in the next second or two, just put your hands over their ears so that they won't hear and just lean in, hang in there for a minute. All right, here's the bad word. I'll say it real quickly. Silence. Yeah, that's the bad word, silence. That's right, silence, guys. (laughs) There is no room in our culture and our society for much silence these days. As a matter of fact, you and I, we run from it like it is a bad word. In every circumstance, in every context, we, we try to hide from silence amidst the noise. Come on, if we're jogging, we got music plugged into our ears. Come on now, if we're riding in our cars, we're listening to talk radio or NPR or some, you know, our latest R&B or country western station. Come on, if we're at home, we've got the TV playing in the background. Can you imagine, think of a time when you don't actually have noise? We seek it out. We look for it. Noise and movement and distraction. Noise and movement and distractions. Wow. You know, uh, uh, a number of teenagers were surveyed recently uh, by, I think it was Microsoft company, and and 77% of them answered yes to this particular question. 
when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. And they said, yes, I'm in that crowd. When nothing is occupying my attention. Yeah, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. Wow. You know, uh, one writer said this, uh, and I love it. He says, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God. The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God. Now, let me hasten to say that I'm not trying to dog out technology. I love technology. If you, my wife, my kids will tell you, I love technology. Technology is awesome. You know, I've got the latest cell phone. I usually do iPhone 13. It's the bomb, right? As long as you, as you control your technology and do not allow your technology to control you. It's awesome. Somebody shout awesome. Yes. As long as you are parenting and training your technology to fit into the natural life redeeming rhythms of how you live as opposed to allowing your technology, come on, to parent and train you and fit you into its rhythms of notifications and chimes. Maybe as we manage our numbered days, that this is a really good time to do a reality check and ask, who's in charge, really? Is it me or my cell phone? (laughs) It's a serious question. It's a serious question. We've got to reclaim the silence in our the space of silence because the one voice that we need to hear more than any other voice is that of God, and there's too much noise to hear. All right, we've landed right in the text where I want to want to move through uh, as as we learn from Jesus about the importance of how to utilize silence. We'll we'll start it this week. We'll come back to it next week. All right. Notice Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about Jesus' baptism. And then after his baptism, uh, the, 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 they, they say exactly what Matthew uh, says right here uh, in various forms. But they essentially say the same thing. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Greek word for wilderness is eromos, to be tempted by the devil. I have always found this to be a fascinating text. Actually, I've been utilizing it in teaching over the last several weeks. Let me just give you some insight. But keep in mind, when you say the word wilderness, you say that you're really talking about this Greek word, eromos. Okay? The first thing is, what's fascinating about this text is, doesn't it seem strange that the Spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness with the end result after a month and a half of being in the wilderness to be tempted? Especially when it is Matthew who, in chapter 6, reminds us that Jesus teaches us to pray in all Father prayer, uh, lead us not into temptation. This is a fascinating thing. And one of the ways that I explain this is that in this particular context, that Jesus is taking what I want to call his final exam before he launches his public ministry. And everything he encounters in this 40-day period will be, uh, he will re-experience and have to, have to, will in fact shape his next three and a half years of ministry. 40 days. All right. So with that in mind, <clears throat> I want you to notice that the word for wilderness is Aramos. 
And eremos can be translated in a variety of different ways. First of all, it can be translated as wilderness. Secondly, it can be translated as desert. Thirdly, it can be translated as a solitary place. You often read it in scripture. But it also can be translated as a quiet place. Type that in the chat. A quiet place. All right, now back up and just think about the text that we just read. It says, after Jesus was baptized, it says that he was led by the Spirit into a quiet place for a month and a half. And the end result of that quiet place, I'm not going to knock it over, I see it. <laughs> the end result of that quiet place is, is a temptation that comes at the very end of it. A quiet place. Notice how Matthew describes the temptation. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter shows up at the end of that process when Jesus is hungry and famished and his weakest point, at his weakest point, uh, uh, physically speaking. But at his strongest point, spiritually, emotionally, he shows up and he attacks his sense of identity. If you are the son of God, that's what the enemy says. That's what the tempter says. In other words, he's, a, he's saying, look, I know you're not the son of God. I don't think you actually think that you are the son of God. And then he repeats these attacks. But Jesus has spent, come on now, the bulk of his time in a quiet place, moving around uh, in, in, this, in, this, in this quiet desert wilderness place, surrounded. Come on, we talk about the enemy, but he was also surrounded by the affirmation and the reaffirmation of the Father. And we meet the Father prior to his moving into the quiet place. You remember after he came out of the waters of baptism in Matthew 3 verse 17, what, what does the text tells us? And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Come on now, I'm coming back to this next week. This is before Jesus does anything, makes any accomplice. He says, he brings me great joy, but he affirms the identity. He's my dearly beloved son. And I believe that as Jesus moved for 40 days, that that affirmation was reaffirmed and reaffirmed that Jesus was clear about who he was and what he was about. Now, here's the question. Are you clear about who you are and what you are about? So many of us are chasing dreams that are not our dreams. That's not tied to the purposes that God has for our lives. We're chasing dreams that our parents have for us. We're chasing dreams that our pastors have shaped out for us or that our professors have, 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 have shaped out for us. And, and we haven't spent enough time in quietness, in quiet places to hear the voice from above and the voice from within tell us who God is calling us to be. You know, I remember when I was going to college, the first semester I got there and my major was a political science. I was a political science major because I was intent on going to law school, become a lawyer and move from as a lawyer into politics. Clear. So I thought. The second semester I took a class or two. Part of my curriculum was history. Happened to be taught by the department head. When it was all over, the department had pulled me off to the side and said, listen, you're uniquely gifted in history. You should major in history. I said, well, no, I'm going to go to law school. He said, look, you can go to law school from any field. Just you ought to be a history major. So I changed my, my major from 
political science to history. Next semester, I took a class or two of philosophy. Happened to be taught by the department head of philosophy. Before I knew the department head was pulling me off to the side and, and, and essentially saying, you know, you should be a philosophy major. I said, well, no, I just changed my degree to major. But no, you know, there's not a lot of African-Americans. You're uniquely gifted in this field of philosophy. You're uniquely gifted. You should. So you know what? I became a double major, history and philosophy. You see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? You know, how many of us are following courses that other people set for us? But before I graduated, come on now, in a quiet space, after spending a week in a, in a, in a, in a house that had no TV and no telephone, come on now, and, no, and, no, and I wouldn't play no music, and I, I engaged with God in a quiet place, that's where I heard the voice of the, of the Father declare, now I have called you before you were in your mother's womb, I had appointed you and set you aside to be a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel of my son, Jesus Christ. That's your eternal purpose. That's who you're called to be. That's what you are about. And I, I discovered that not in the noise of the university, but in the quiet place. Quiet place. Shout quiet place. Yeah. Oh God, help us to reclaim the quiet places of our lives. Quiet place. Well, if you go from Matthew to Mark, you'll discover in chapter 1, he, he approaches the same story, but from a different perspective. And in Mark, in chapter 1, we get a sense of uh, kind of a full day in the life of Jesus. Since he does 40 days, that's a month and a half, in his quiet place, being reaffirmed, he's able then to withstand the attack of the tempter, trying to tell him who he wasn't, attacking his sense of identity and purpose. And then he comes out of that space, recovers, and he goes into a full day of ministry in Caponium. And he's, my goodness, I mean, he's preaching and teaching. He stops by Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law. Come on now. And then he ends up well, ministering and caring and healing people into the late hours of the night. He's on the move. And then he goes to sleep. And then the next morning comes. And, 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 and here's what uh, Matthew 136, Mark 136 says about what Jesus does in the next morning. Check it out. It, it, it says, before daybreak, while everybody else was asleep, the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place. Same Greek word, Eremos, quiet place. To engage with the Father to pray. An hour or two, several hours later, the next verse says this. Watch this. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found Jesus, they said, everyone is looking for you. I mean, they said, listen, man. Man, the crowds are showing up at the house. TMZ, they're there. Come on now. Camera people from Fox and CNN, they are there. I mean, your name is trending on the local social media. I mean, I mean, the, the crowds are thick. We've got to go back for round two. I mean, we just can, you're launching like a rocket pad. But remember, Jesus had gone to his quiet place and there in a the quiet place engaging with the father. Come on now. Not only was he clear about who he was and what he was about, but in a quiet place, he was also clarifying his priorities. Come on now. 
And so what does Jesus do? He responds to them. Here's what he says. He essentially says, no. That's what he says. No. We must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them also. Here's his purpose and his priority. This is why I came. You see it? Did you catch it? That so it's a 40 days, a month and a half in a quiet place, gets clarity about who he is. He comes out, does a full day of intense ministry. He's busy. He's busy. He wakes up the next morning. He needs that quiet place. You see the rhythm that's happening. You see how he's shaping his pace. And in the interaction with the father, he's clarifying his sense of priority. The father probably said, they're going to come and tell you X, Y, and Z, but you need to say no. What would it look like for you to spend time with the Father in the quiet space, uh, in a quiet place every morning before you get busy, before you pick up your phone, right, and start, right, before you start engaging with life and you, you're talking to the Father about what your priorities for that day should be and making sure that your schedule and your itinerary aligns with your eternal purpose. What would that look like? Jesus says, my yoke is light. Come on now. And, 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 and life becomes a little lighter if, in fact, you create quiet space to engage so that I can help set your priorities so you'll know what to say yes to and what to say no to. A lot of us are way too busy because we just say yes and yes and yes and yes. Total out of alignment with his call and his purpose in our lives. We, 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 we spend little time consulting because we're lost in the noise. Running for the wrong things. Shout quiet place to Aramos. All right. Let me bring this to a conclusion. Let me just summarize. So here's what we learned from Jesus. In silence, number one, God confirms our identity and our purpose. Not just one time. But remember, Jesus would practice this. He would build this into the rhythm of our lives because our sense of identity and purpose will be attacked repeatedly in a variety of ways by a variety of tempters. And sometimes the tempter, uh, come on now, is not just found in what we call secular places. Sometimes the tempter shows up in sacred places. He, he just doesn't always come to us through beguiling, seductive voices. Sometimes the tempter shows up in very innocent, familiar voices. So you got to have that regular time. So God keeps reaffirming your, who you are and what you're about. Secondly, come on now. In silence, God clarifies and continues to clarify our priorities. You see what you're missing in the noise? And thirdly, uh, in silence, God cultivates our ability to be fully present first to him. 
You see, and I'm going to tell you, the first time you try to spend some time in quiet space with God, you turn off your phone, and you turn off this stuff, man, you, you're going to get very, just, your mind is moving, you're so distracted because we've shaped that mind, it's going to take some real work, you're going to have to ask God to help you to discipline yourself, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move forward, it's going to kind of be hard, but as you learn to be fully present to God in that space, Space. Watch it. That discipline will allow you to be fully present to your family. Come on now, when you're at dinner together, come on. Or when you're sitting down and talking to your kids or your grandparents, whatever the case is, or your sibling. That same discipline will teach you how to be fully present at work and how to be fully present with yourself as you engage your own soul. Now, let me end it here. The focus of today's teaching is about creating quiet space to engage God by shutting off the external noise. It's what I want to call external silence. Come on, say it with me. External silence. That's within our control fairly easy. Just turn off the TV, turn off the phone. Come on now. Walk out, go to the nearest park and sit down out there, you know. Uh, go out to the beach. You know, that's, that's, that's within our grasp. You can, you can create external silence. But the reason we don't create external silence is because it's harder to shut off, y'all ain't listening, the voices within that are not God's voices, the accusing voices, y'all ain't listening, uh, 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 all those other voices. And, 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 and that's why we hide in the noise. So next week, I'm going to talk about how to engage those, those hidden, accusing, those difficult voices within that keeps us running. So make sure you get back here next week. But this week, take a step towards what I just taught you about establishing a quiet place by shutting down the external noise. Let me give you a homework real quick. So number one, I want to challenge you as I did last week. And if you're just listening, joining us for the first time, this is your challenge. Set aside, schedule it, 15 minutes of quiet time, early morning, midday, lunch, uh, in the evening, 15 minutes. Schedule it in your phone, in your calendar. Time to read the Gospel of Mark. And you just read whatever you can in the course of that time. And ask God to be with you. Secondly, as you read, ask this question for this week. Every week the question changes. What is Jesus teaching me as I read in silence? What are you teaching me as I read in silence? Journal, journal. Take your notes for yourself. And then here's a wonderful practice uh, that uh, was suggested by John Eldridge in a book that he wrote, Taking Back Control Over Your Life. And he calls this practice the, the one-minute pause. And I just want to encourage you to schedule twice in every day to schedule it one moment for you to quiet and steal yourself. When set your, you can set your alarm one minute. You can, you, can, you can let your soul engage with heaven or you can just sit there quietly and catch your breath. I'll see you next week. Lord, bless us. Teach us to quiet our living. Amen. All right, are you ready to take a step forward in your faith? Simply scan the QR code right here on the screen. Uh, it'll take you to next steps on our connection card, next steps with Jesus. 
And for some of you, this is your opportunity to really, really surrender your life and your destiny to Jesus. Make him Lord and Redeemer as you, as you commit uh, to being, in the fullest sense of the word, a follower of Jesus. There are some other options there as well. And if you'd like for us to reach out and contact you and help you once you make this commitment today, just check. There's a box there for you to check as well. I want to encourage you to look at the response to the message, and I want to encourage you to affirm it. Uh, simply by raising your hand or if you're inside the connection card, check yes. And here's what I'm asking you to affirm, that I will practice, this is a this week practice, I will practice silence while engaging with God this week. I will have given you an opportunity to do that. And you know, practice that uh, one minute silence plus your devotional time with God. All right, here's the question I want you to wrestle with, our reflection question, check it out. What is most challenging about practicing silence for, 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 for myself. What is most challenging about practicing silence?